This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues and the world of sports. Talk to some of the biggest players in the industry today. Delighted to have back with us on the pod Bloomberg Opinion columnist, New York Times bestselling author, man of many hats and many opinions, Joe Nocera. Joe, great to have you with us. Ah, thanks. Uh, I guess I am a man of many opinions. You are. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little sports. Let's talk first about the NCAA. This is getting more and more complicated for sports to return in the fall. What do you make of it as, as you read the headlines, you read about teams going out to bars and coming back infected with COVID? What's going to happen? I think the chances of there being a full-on college football season is getting slimmer and slimmer. You know, the number of players at the University of Texas, I think it was like one out of every eight players had it. You know, Ohio State's had some outbreaks. And then there's a Black Lives Matter issue where some of the players are basically uh, mad at their coaches for not being appropriately respectful of the Black Lives Matters movement. And, uh, you know, threatening basically to strike. So one of, the, one of the things that COVID has done and this era has done, this moment has done, is reminded players that they have power. And if they use it collectively, individually, they're afraid of their coach. They're afraid of getting caught. They're afraid of losing their scholarship, you know, etc. But collectively, they have immense power as we saw some years ago after Ferguson at the University of Missouri, where the president got fired because the mm-hmm. football team said they would go on strike. So, so that's happening now to a much greater degree. And one of the uncertainties, it seems to me, is whether the players are just going to say, look, you know, I, I'm not willing to get COVID so you guys can make a lot of money. And we'll see how that plays out. I mean, we've got a ways to go, but, but um, universities, they don't hold all the cards. Joe, I was doing a little research when I found out we were going to be talking today, and uh, I went to one of your articles, and the first sentence read, the coronavirus could be the best thing that's ever happened to college athletics. And then the page started to fade because I'm such a cheapskate. I had already used up my one free Bloomberg article. So can you, <laughs> so can you pick it up from there and tell me exactly what that, what that sentence was leading into and into that piece yes. that you wrote? Well. Well, first of all, you should be ashamed of yourself for subscribing <laughs> to Bloomberg. When you're on well, I want a to Bloomberg, and if I went to be you like you did, I'd have a you know I'd have more money in my bank account and I'd be able to afford it. <laughs> the essence of my article was that COVID is going to put severe budgetary constraints on universities with students wanting to take a year off and not wanting to pay full price, students refusing to pay full price to do online, you know, a lot lot fewer kids being in dorms, et cetera, et cetera. And that one of the consequences of that budgetary shortfall was going to be athletic department shortfall, not at Ohio State and not at the University of Texas, but at all sorts of universities all around the country. And that this could potentially turn college sports into something that's a little more sensible, so that you'd have the Power Five still, of course, that wouldn't change. Um, but that, you know, a lot of the other schools would sort of rethink, should I be in big-time football or maybe I should downscale it a little bit? Or, and this is, this is one of the absurdities of the current system, is that if you're West Virginia 
and you're the West Virginia tennis team, you actually have to fly to Texas for three away games, you know, uh, because there are three Texas schools in, in, in the Big Eight. And that's nuts. And so one of the things I think it would do is regionalize a lot of sports that are not football and basketball the way hockey is regionalized. Hockey is the one sport that does this sensibly, where, where you have a, a, an Eastern contingent you know, that plays each other, and then you have a Midwest contingent that plays each other, and they only really meet when they get to the Final Four, uh, the uh, Frozen Four, excuse me. So I, I think that the, the economic constraints has the potential to create a more sensible version of college sports. That, that's really what I was talking about. And so, Joe, since you wrote that, I feel like we've gotten even a clearer window into how complicated this is for so many universities and their management of their sports and their just ultimate reliance, as you've alluded to, on, on college football. So play this out. I mean, for the academic year of... 20 slash 21, but going forward, this uncertainty, this this could last a long time and have ramifications for years and years to come. Not if you're a power. University of Texas, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, USC UCLA, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, those schools can survive a one-year hiatus of college football. It'd be painful it would be painful. They would, they would be deprived of $35 million in money they get from, from their conference. They would be deprived of their own television revenue, uh, ESPN revenue. They'd lose a lot of money, but they could get through it. They could get through it. If you're Wayne State, if you're Ball State, if you're uh, Boston College, if you're Rutgers, hundreds of other schools, they can't afford to do it. And if they were to lose the college football season, they would have to drastically change the face of their athletic department. I, I don't even know how they would do it. Don't forget, the NCAA has a minimum requirement of 14 sports to be a member in good standing in Division One. Well, I mean, come on. That is untenable in this era. And especially if you don't have college football and you can't uh, afford, you know, and the NCAAs that has to back down from that, which so far it has not done, despite a number of requests, or the schools are just going to say, we're going to do it and we don't really care what the NCAA says because we can't afford it. So, you know, uh, uh, once again, if that happens, the NCAA will be leading from behind. But if you didn't have college football this year, it's almost hard to imagine what a cataclysm that would be for the universities themselves, for the athletes, and let's not forget for, for ESPN, right. which is losing subscribers left and right and is you know, really having trouble. And you know, the only thing that saved it the last couple of months is the Michael Jordan uh, documentary. You know, if they don't have college football, which they really, really depend on, they got a big problem. Joe, um, what, what's the biggest impediment outside of a, a vaccine for this thing, for getting college football back on the field? Is it the individual states that have different regulations? Some are open, some are closed. Is it conference rule? Is it university presidents? I mean, which of those hurdles is the first one when the starter's gun goes off that you have to, have to get over first? Well, I mean, the biggest hurdle is the fear of getting COVID. I mean, there's no state at this point that would not allow college football to take place. 
Uh, they're all pretty much reopening. Universities are given a lot of leeway. As you may have noticed, a lot of schools, uh, starting with Purdue, that was the first one, have basically said we are going to manage, we're going to bring students back on campus. And we're going to have social distancing and wearing masks and so on. Now, you know, if there were to be a big, big outbreak of COVID on, at Purdue, they would have to stop that. So, you know, you can picture a scenario where, you know, Duke plays North Carolina in football and, you know, the next day, 10 players test positive. And if that were to happen, you know, North Carolina and Duke would shut, would shut down their football programs. So the number one impediment is the potential of a lot of players getting COVID. The number two impediment is a lot of players being afraid of getting COVID and basically saying, sorry, fellas, we're not playing. And, you know, I think that's a legitimate scenario. Uh, it hasn't happened yet because it's a little early, but let's see what happens in August and September. So meanwhile, Joe, shifting to pro sports, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, is teed up to play, as it were, we think. Uh, All signs are pointing toward bubbling there in Orlando. And yet, as we get closer and closer, it's only getting more complicated. What's your read on the NBA at this moment? They're going to try. They are absolutely going to try. First of all, uh, it's a brilliant idea even if it doesn't work, to, to put everybody in a bubble in, at Disneyland or Disney World and uh, you know, keep, them from, keep the outside world from coming in. Now, unfortunately, you know, Florida is now in the midst of a, a huge run-up in, in positive cases, and who knows how that will affect the plans. But it seems, to, it seems pretty clear that they're going to try and you know, start practicing beginning of next month start playing some exhibition games in the latter part of the month, and then start the season, truncated season, uh, around July 30. There's a bunch of teams that are still in the hunt for playoff spots, so there'll be some exciting games then. And then, you know, if, you know, one player or two players get COVID, I'm sure they're going to keep going. If, you know, half a team gets COVID, I think they'll shut it down. Again, uh, I think it's worth trying. You know, athletes are young and they're strong. And the chances of them dying or going to the hospital because of COVID is pretty slim. But uh, nonetheless, you know, there's, there's risks that are reasonable and risks that are unreasonable. Right now, it seems like a reasonable risk, but it may not, it may not turn out that way. Also, by the way, once again, uh, Black Lives Matter has played a role in here. And there's a couple of players. Now, I, unfortunately, I can't remember who they are. But there's a couple of players who basically said, I'm not going to play. I think Dwight Howard's one of them. Well, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving was, I mean, who's not playing anyway, but he was the yeah, one who playing. really, yeah, I mean, who really came yeah. to the fore and said, we shouldn't play even though he's not playing. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yes. At least, at least KD, you know, basically says, I'm not playing, but that's because I'm still hurt. Right. <laughs> Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie basically says we shouldn't be playing. People really, really yearn for basketball and not just, not every, people of all colors in this country are dying for some sports. And basketball is the most likely uh, to be able to, uh, to take place. I thought it would be tennis, but um, the idiots who um, play tennis have not only come down with COVID in that uh, Djokovic's you know, little tournament that he threw, but on the Internet there's, a, there's video of some players partying 
without masks in close quarters and basically practically begging COVID to hit them. So, Joe, why wouldn't that happen to the to the NBA, even though they're in the in the bubble? And and that that's the first part of this next question is, which of the four major leagues do you think will have the best chance of success of completing a season? Baseball, basketball, football, or hockey? Well, baseball should have the best chance because you know baseball is by its nature a fair amount of social distancing, given you know where the players sit in the field and so on and so forth. I mean, there's collisions at home plate and second base, but, but by and large, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sport where there's less, they're not in constant contact the way they are in, in other sports. So baseball ought to, but, but management and the union are at each other's throats. And so, you know, that creates difficulties because you can sort of see the players storming off the field after the third game uh, because a player comes down with it. And so I think in the end, basketball is the most likely because they seem to be taking the most precautions and because they're smarter about this than, than the other sports. Um, football might get lucky just because it, it takes place in the fall and maybe we'll get through this wave, although you know everybody expects a second wave in the fall. I think basketball has the best chance. So, Joe, as you as we wrap up, like just take a couple steps back. I know you're just starting work or you've signed a, a deal to write a new book with Bethany McLean. You're a frequent collaborator uh, over the years, and I know a good friend of yours to write a book about the government's response to this. I mean, you are seeing the world through the COVID lens, not just sports, but but the whole shebang. Uh, where are we right now? I mean, what, what's the take that we need to hear? Uh, we are not in a great place. Every state that has tried to reopen has, has had a, a, a burst of new cases, a lot of new cases. And it's not just Florida and Texas, and it's not just red states. Look at California. You know, California is as blue as they get, and they, they're having five and 6,000 new cases a day. And New York right now is starting to reopen cautiously, but um, the history suggests that to, when you reopen, you're going to get new cases. And, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is that in Florida, the, somebody did a poll, only 54% of the people are wearing masks regularly. And, you know, people are not, I know they're anxious to get back to their lives, but people are not taking the proper precautions and that's causing a lot of this. It's not just government response. And you can't stay locked up forever because if you stay locked down forever, you don't have an economy. Yeah. So it's a really tricky situation. But the truth of the matter is that if the entire country were to take the precautions that they need to take, we could reopen with a lot less cases and a lot fewer problems. And like in Florida, for instance, the average age of a positive case has gone from 62 and a half to 34. Wow. That, that tells you what's going on. Young yep. people who feel invulnerable and are so excited to be out and about and the bars are open, they actually had to shut the bars down again in Florida because people were just crowding into bars without masks and you know spreading COVID. So you know, I'm discouraged because I think this is a solvable problem without a whole lot of difficulty, but, no, but too many people are not willing to make the small sacrifices they need to make to get us over this hump. 
Joe Nocera, thank you so much. Always good to catch up with you. You're always on the news. And as I said at the top, you've always got an opinion. Congrats on the new book deal. I cannot wait to read it. For anybody who wants to check out the whole Joe Nocera, Bethany McLean vibe, <laughs> first read their book. Uh, you've done one book together already, right? Yeah. All, all the Devils Are Here, The Hidden History of the Financial Crisis. And also, I know you've been a guest on uh, her podcast, Making a Killing, which it's just good listening because you just get the, the chemistry and it will get you excited about this book that is due out when you finish it. So really hey, excited. Listen, can, I, can I hire you as my publicist when the book comes out? <laughs> listen, I am your ultimate hype man because also- You are. I mean, also, <laughs> let's not forget, Joe Nocera, that you had the number one podcast in the world uh, last year, The Shrink Next Door, coming soon to Apple TV, starring Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. And, so. and I got one other, one other factoid. Yes. Uh, there's a new episode of Shrinks Next Door coming out on July 13th, and it is a new knockout excellent all right well you're gonna have wow. to come back uh on this show bloomberg business week whatever it is because as i said i'm your ultimate hype man your biggest fan and i uh, always appreciate the time <laughs> Joe so knows Sarah, you're the best all right you can catch Take our care. podcast right here every monday wednesday and thursday i'm jason kelly on twitter at jason kelly news and i'm mike lynch you can find me on twitter at lynchy wcdb you're listening to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio around the world